0: You are listening to a weekend message from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you, so find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. We're in a week two of a series called Framed. And essentially we're looking at different passages in the Bible where people, because of Jesus' ministry, people begin to hate him for what he was doing. Uh, ultimately, they would send him to the cross to be crucified. And we're, we're looking at these stories to see how we can look at the characteristics maybe of what they were going through and how they were seeing Christ, and, and maybe even sometimes when those things begin to kind of rise up on the inside of us as well. And Pastor Brandon did a great job last week talking about influence and power, and how um, it, it's so interesting to me, I, I even text him during the service, is, is that these Pharisees, they were devoted to the things of God. They wanted to build the kingdom. But in doing so, they got so jaded by the influence and the power that it gave them that they began to build their own kingdom. So much so that they missed the very Messiah walking in front of them. Like, like Jesus is walking in front of them. And the, and the power and the influence created this thing in them where they couldn't even see it. And they were offended by it. They, they, they felt Uh, Offended, right? It it was a threat to them, and so they begin to hate and despise Jesus. Ultimately, sending him to the cross. This week, we're going to be looking at a a passage typically entitled "A Woman Caught in Adultery." It's like a really nice title, right? (laughs) Woohoo! But it's beautiful story of God's mercy, watching Jesus operate in a difficult situation and seeing God's mercy through it. Uh, before we get there, how many of you have ever been just caught red-handed doing something you weren't supposed to be doing? Anybody? Okay, now if you didn't raise your hand, you lied and I caught you, okay? So, so now we're all on the same page because now you have been caught lying in church and now we all know, we've all been caught doing something that we weren't supposed to be doing. Thinking about, you know, maybe you went to the doctor and the doctor was like, hey, Time to lose a little weight, right? And so you got to start eating a little better. And then you're downstairs at midnight, getting your little Oreo, and the wife's coming down the stairs, you know, you're coming down the stairs, and you get busted doing something you weren't supposed to be doing, right? This happened recently in my house. Uh, we tried to transition, keyword there is tried uh, transition my two-year-old daughter to a toddler bed, uh, and we are failing miserably at it currently. We, we actually have just given up. We've just resigned, like, you're just going back to the crib because we, we can't do it. Because she's getting up throughout the night, and she never does when she's in her crib. One night, we put her in the toddler bed, and then about 1230 in the morning, my wife hears the door open, right? And I, I'm a heavy sleeper, heavy sleepers out there. So Mount Megan has to wake me up to go do anything. Like, if there's something that needs to be happening, I got to be woken up. So she wakes me up, and I go, and I kid you not, there's a toy bin right outside their room. And I, I go, <laughs> I come around the corner. My two-year-old daughter at 12.30 in the morning is sliding a toy bin into her bedroom (laughs) like it's time to go play. Like, no, what are you doing? And then she knew she was in trouble, you know. I'm reactionary, you know, so I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, ah, you know, it just turned into this whole mess of a thing, right? Like, she got caught red-handed trying to play at 12.30 in the morning. How many of you got speeding tickets? How many speeders do we got out there? (laughs) I just saw somebody put their head down, like, ah. I'm sorry, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to make you feel that way. <laughs> uh, thankfully, I haven't got any, but officer, I said that earlier, and uh, Officer Grubbs was in here, and so then I'm pretty sure, like I'm in trouble. Like, like I'm gonna have to dial it down a little bit because I, I think Officer Grubbs is gonna be coming for me this week. Um, how about this? This is like the old school version. How many of you have ever said something when you were a kid, and you got your mouth washed out with some soap? Anybody, any of those people? Got some soul people, yeah. I'll tell you my dad's favorite story because I see it happen to me uh, as a parent now, but my dad's favorite story, he likes to tell everybody, he was here earlier, and uh, I just, I appreciate that. For some reason, it's not a funny story, it's not a serious story, but he tells this to literally everybody that he knows. Uh, When I was a kid, uh, I got a new pair of jeans and uh, I went to school, first day of school, I'm out there playing, I tear the knees out of the jeans, which is cool today, it wasn't cool then, And so I thought I'd be slick, right? I thought I was slick, I would just hide the jeans in my closet, okay? The thing I know now is that parents know way more than the kids know. That's what I've learned in parenting. But when I was a kid, I didn't know this. So my dad, he would give me chances to come clean. But he liked to play kind of this game. Be like, hey. Be a week later, be like, where those jeans at? Like, oh, they're just in the closet, you know? And week by week, he would give me a chance until one week I came home and guess what? He's holding the jeans, right? And he sees the knees were all busted out. So what happened? It's like, listen, I just was lying to not get my butt whooped, right? (laughs) Like I'm just trying my best not to. i do anything to not get whooped in that moment. I mean, busted me, caught me red-handed. And when we read this passage today, uh, you're going to see the exact same thing. Is that we're going to see this woman who's caught in the very act of sin. And she's brought before Jesus to see how he would handle it. And as we're reading this passage and as we're, we're looking at maybe a few different characters in the story, what I want you to do is to begin to kind of place yourself and find who you are in the story, who you can relate to, who, who you tend to be more like, and then also who you should aspire to be and how you should aspire to act as a result of what we read today. And so we're going to read 12 verses today. Uh, We're going to start just before John 8 in uh, in chapter 7, verse 53. It says, And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him. They may have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So we see this picture. Jesus is in the temple teaching as he did so often. And there's a group of people, it even says all the people, but we don't know how many, but there's a group of people listening to him teach. And just imagine this scenario, right? Because in bus in these Pharisees, wearing robes, carrying a woman who, you know, leading a woman in who had just been caught in the act of adultery, right? It's like, this is like a, it's very Jerry Springer-esque now, you know, we've, we've kind of crossed like normal and we're in like this crazy midday talk show host kind of a thing situation going on. Okay? Can you imagine how she would feel as, as they're telling Jesus about what they just discovered? C- can you imagine what it would feel like to have your, all your business being put out in front of everybody like that? She would have felt shame. She would have felt guilt. She would have been humiliated in front of these people. I think this story is so important for us because we can all relate to the feelings that this lady is going to in the moment because as we've already discussed and as the Bible uh, is very lengthy to tell us is that all of us sin. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not a single person in this room or on this earth that has not sinned, has not fallen short, has not made a mistake, okay? And so we're on level grounds with this lady and then the fact that we have all made mistakes. And a lot of times when we make those mistakes, that's when the shame comes in. It's when the guilt comes in. We start to feel ashamed of what we have done. And a lot of times we then take the next step. It's like our human nature to begin to then cover up and hide what we have done, which is the worst step we could possibly take. Look at Adam and Eve the first time there was sin. In the fall of man, the first thing they did was they covered themselves up and they hid. We see God coming, in, Adam, where are you? The moment that they sin, they, they begin to hide and cover up the shame and the guilt that they, that they felt. I messed with Pastor Brandon earlier because this is exactly what Tom Brady did too. He got, he got charged with deflating footballs. Y'all remember this, Deflate Gate? He was cheating, that's his boy too. And you know what, he magically had to get a new phone in the middle of the investigation. Y'all remember this? He got rid of his old phone he got a new phone because he had to right in the middle. He, what was he doing? He's covering up something he wasn't supposed to. He didn't want anybody else to find out. And all too often when we find ourselves caught up in some sin or a mistake or a failure or a shortcoming, we then make it worse by hiding it and covering it up. One of the things I want you to understand this morning is that ultimately shame grows in the darkness that the things that we try to hide and we try to cover up, they tend to get worse and worse. But thankfully, God is merciful. We have a merciful God who does not give us what we deserve for all of those things. And he wants us to bring those things to the light so that we're able to deal with it. So we're able to handle it. So we can experience healing from it. It's, I was telling Terry earlier, uh, it's a lot like uh, your refrigerator, okay? I can tell you, unless you're like super OCD, behind your refrigerator and underneath it right now is nasty, right? Like I don't, I don't maybe y'all pull y'alls out. I don't ever pull mine out. There's like a, a two-year-old blueberry under there somewhere, you know? Like, like there's something in there. I don't know, it's growing. Like a lot of like a dust dust bunny family under there. There's all kinds of stuff, right? What happens when I pull the refrigerator out? I'm appalled. Right? I'm like, oh. But what does that do? It gives me an opportunity to address the mess that was behind there the whole time. And the same thing happens with sin and shame as we try to hide it and it grows until we bring it out into the light. And we experience God's mercy. See, I think a lot of times we forget how merciful God is. And we try to hide it from him like he doesn't already know. And we go away from the very source of healing and freedom that we need. God is merciful. I love it in Luke chapter 1 verse 78. It says, a new day will dawn on us because our God is loving and merciful. The the Bible's quick to remind us that God is rich in mercy. It tells us that his mercies are new every single morning. God is merciful to his people. And we all need his mercy. It's not one of us who doesn't need it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the two different characters in the story, and we're going to see how God's mercy relates to different types of people. The first one is God is merciful when I am unrighteous. We've already established the fact that all of us have sinned and all of us make mistakes. We see this woman in the story. She clearly has made a mistake and been caught in the act of it. And these religious people, they bust in on this, you know, like Bible study that's happening and they they put the spotlight on her. And this is when we begin to see the mistake that the Pharisees make in relation to unrighteous people that they find themselves around. See, the Pharisees thought... That if I could create distance between me and sinful people, then you would see how good and godly I am. Because look at what, do you hear what they said? Do you see what they're over there doing? Look how good I am. They even prayed it sometimes. God, I'm thankful I'm not like this guy. Look at all he's doing, right? They created distance. But in doing so, they actually distanced themselves from God because it led them to sin. It led them to be disobedient. And the thing that they thought was showing them to be godly was actually showing them to be ungodly. And we see that Jesus comes on the spot. And instead of distancing himself from sinful people, what does he do? He actually comes in between. He comes in close. And he brings sinful people to God. He's a bridge to reconcile lost, broken, hurting people back to the father he didn't create distance no he created nearness so that they could experience god's love and kindness and it led them to the father he came close and this is the thing that would make the pharisees so mad it was the the part of his mercy that would make them so mad you look in luke chapter 7 a lady came in a sinful woman came in and broke some perfume on jesus Here's what the Pharisees said. It said, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. This this beautiful act of giving and sacrifice, yet the Pharisees could only see that she was sinful and how close Jesus was to her. Just a few verses before that, Jesus is actually going to tell them something that has been said by them. He said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard. And then he says this, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So that's how they viewed Jesus. They called him a friend of sinners. Jesus would draw near because he wanted to show mercy to the people that nobody wanted to show mercy to. Because it was representative of the mercy that the Father wanted to show them. And this is something that you and I can practice in our everyday lives. We can come close to people we can show mercy when they don't deserve it. If you're a parent in here, you can get so good at showing mercy. <laughs> my, my daughter Zoe is very, uh, she's either very high or very low, okay? It's Brandon's favorite thing about her because when she's like in a good mood, he loves it. But when she starts like going nuts, he starts laughing too. Like <laughs> He's unaffected by it. He thinks it's the best thing about her. It drives me bonkers, right? Because it's like, what happened? And my nature, because where she gets it from, I wanna react too, but what I've noticed is I can bring her in close and I can sit down and I can have her look at me face-to-face and eye-to-eye and we can have a conversation and I can explain to her exactly what's happening and I can give her mercy. I could punish her in those situations and sometimes it calls for it, but the vast majority of the time I set her down and I say, look, what you're doing is wrong and here's what you deserve, I'm gonna give you another chance. You can do this with your coworkers, you can do this here at church. There's so many different ways that we can practice showing mercy. And, and it's all about, uh, we talk about this a lot in premarital. It's timing and tone. It's timing and tone. The Pharisees, they, have, they just bust in. They do what they want. Arrogant, prideful. No, no. Jesus, he, he, there's times when he talks about he's sitting and reclining at the dinner table with sinners. He did it in a gracious fashion, and, and all of us can learn from that. But you may be in here right now you may be dealing with some sort of sin or some sort of addiction or, or some, some sort of stronghold that you're trying to deal with in your life that, that God is working through in you. And I want to encourage you, God is merciful. God is merciful and he's not surprised. I love Romans 5, 8 because I think it sheds in so much light on how loving God is. It says that he demonstrates his love that while we were sinners, he died for our sins. See, he was not, con- it's not like you did something that just kind of surprised him and popped up and then he was like, oops. God knew full well the depth of, of how bad we all were and yet he died for us anyways. He doesn't want you to stay there. He wants his mercy to pull you out of that place. So I want to encourage you, God is merciful and no matter where you find yourself, when you make a mistake, when you mess up, don't hide it, take it to him. Bring it to him let him have a chance at it. The second thing is God is merciful when I'm self-righteous. So we're going we're gonna to shift gears here because not only was God, was Jesus merciful to this woman who was caught in adultery, he actually was merciful to the Pharisees as well. And for me, it's really easy to look at Pharisees and think they're dumb, right? like to look at all the mistakes they make. Like on this side of history, right, like it's really easy to look, and if you've read the Bible at all and you see the mistakes they make and how they kind of slip up, it's really easy to be judgmental of their behavior because you think they should have known better. Then I also am confronted with the reality that when I read Bible stories, a lot of time, guess who ends up being the Pharisee? (laughs) It's me. (laughs) Like, no. I want to be the hero, you know, like I want to be the guy who does it right. But all too often, I end up being the guy who gets it wrong. And so don't just write off the Pharisees in the story because it looks like they're doing something. Yes, they're messing up, but all too often we can learn from them as well. It's very easy, especially I think if you've been around church for a long time. I've noticed this as as I've been around church longer and longer, and I didn't grow up in church, but I've noticed that I, I begin to lose vision maybe of what we're trying to do here as a church. And so some people can come into the church and maybe don't look like me or don't talk like me. And if I'm not careful, I, I, I even try to like I, I question, what are they doing here? I have these thoughts that go through and I begin to judge. And I begin to be very fairsacal about it. I forget the fact that we're here to reach people. We build up the body of Christ, not just so we can keep the gospel here, so we can take it out in our community and see lives transformed for the sake of the kingdom of God. So what does it look like to be self-righteous? A, a few things that I just saw in this passage is that when I'm self-righteous, I'll point the finger at others before I point the finger at myself. That's my kids. Anytime my, one person does something right, like, Judah hit me. Well, I know if I just wait two seconds, I hear Judah coming downstairs, you know, because he heard his name. He's like, no, she kicked me, and then he said this, and she said that, right? What are they doing? They're pointing the finger at everybody else because they don't ever point the finger back at themselves. And if we're not careful, right, we begin to get self-righteous and think too highly of ourselves and we're pointing the finger at other people instead of looking at ourselves. Another thing that happens is we minimize my personal shortcomings, right? Like if I'm pointing the finger at somebody else, I'm not thinking as much about maybe where I'm missing it. It's a lot like seeing the speck in somebody's eye when I miss the log in my own, that I'm looking at somebody else instead instead of thinking about, hey, where am I missing it here? We enjoy others' mistakes, or we handle them publicly so it'll show how much better that I am than this other person. And this is exactly what they do in the story. They don't care about this lady. They want to expose what's going on, and more importantly, they want to try to trap Jesus in his own words. So what it says in verse uh, John 8:6, it says, They were using this question as a trap. In order to have a basis for accusing him because they know if he says yes you can stone her then he's going to lose this reputation of being loving and caring about people but if he says no then he's going to be somebody who condones adultery and is is a a law breaker essentially and they thought there was only two answers yes or no and then jesus does something really interesting he starts playing in the dirt (laughs) right he starts writing something. There's a lot of conjecture about what's happening in this, in this dirt writing uh, scenario. The, the truth is we don't know what he wrote. Like, that's just what it is. Like, we're not really sure. Um, I like, you know, I think it's fun to, like, think that he was, like, in all-knowing, you know, he was writing, like, little phrases that maybe they only knew, the only the person who was there knew about him, you know? He's, like, writing something like, like, Sea of Galilee in year 72 or something, <laughs> you know? He's, like, writing something down They're like, Ooh, you know, he starts looking around because nobody knows but him. You know, like, we don't know what he's saying. I do know this, is that the way that the Pharisees carried themselves, Jesus could have certainly corrected them in that moment. He, he had full authority, full power. Like, he, he could have corrected them in that moment because they were handling it in such a terrible way with a terrible attitude and a terrible heart. He could have corrected them. And instead, he does this really strange thing. And the, and the Bible tells us that, one by one, they started to feel conviction by their conscience, and they all started walking away. Notice Jesus could have heaped condemnation on top of them, but it was actually conviction that they were feeling, and it led them away from the situation. He could have, he could have walked up and addressed every single one of them face to face, knowing full well everything that they had ever done, and yet he chose to allow conviction to rule in their heart instead of condemning them in front of everybody. He was merciful not just to the woman who was caught in adultery. He was merciful to the Pharisees who were self-righteous because self-righteousness is unrighteousness. (laughs) Like no amount of righteousness that you and I can try to muster up will equate to anything. It's only the righteousness that God gives us in Jesus Christ that is truly righteous. And he used the conviction to begin to move them in it. And they all left and we're, we're, we find ourselves at, at verse 10. The last thing is God is merciful for my future. He's merciful for my future. It, it says this, when Jesus had raised himself up and he saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This last line, this last verse, is truly something that I find remarkable, and you see it all throughout the Bible. It's that, in my opinion, I think God would have been perfectly right to say, I don't condemn you, and then put a period in the sentence, okay? That would have been awesome. Like, how many of you know, like, you know, you know your sin, you know your struggles, the fact that in Christ, God does not condemn you is a pretty awesome reality, yes? It's not a, yes, it is. <laughs> it's amazing. It's unbelievable. It's like the single greatest thing that's happened in the history of the world is that God would die on your behalf, to cover your sins, that you wouldn't have condemnation. It's unbelievable. But all throughout Scripture you see things like this where God moves, and he'd be perfectly OK to stop there. Yet He calls us to more. He calls us to something better. Not only does he say, I don't condemn you, he says, go and sin no more. He tells her, look, I've got this full life that you can experience. And it's when you turn your back on your sin, when you turn your back on the world, and you just follow after me. And that's, that's the reality of what we have. It's the reality of what God has offered us is an opportunity to really live out the fullness of life that God promises. And I think so often, I see people come up, and they try to toe the line. They're like, how close can I get? Like, is God's mercy in right here? Or right here? Does it go over here? You know? We're trying to toe the line to see how, God, how good God is, how merciful he is. We're toeing the line. No, no, no. God's mercy has been given for our benefit, but not to be taken advantage of. Not to test God in his mercy. I love how Paul continues to address this in Romans in different ways, but they, they basically asked this one time, they said, "Hey, if grace abounds where sin is, should we sin some more?" So there's more grace? It's like, "What?" And Paul goes, "By no means." It's like the straightforward answer like Paul would do, "By no means. It's not about how close I can get to the line. It's like, how much of God can I experience?" How close to him can I get? What, how full of life can I experience after, by following after him? I'm not trying to toe the line. I'm trying to get as close to God as I possibly can because I'm thankful that he's been merciful to me. I'm thankful that I didn't get some things that I should have got because he's a loving and good and caring God. I'm thankful that there's an eternity prepared ahead of time for me that I don't deserve, but that he's merciful and he he took my sins so I could spend eternity with Him. So whether you find yourself on the self-righteous side or the unrighteous side or somewhere in between, God has mercy for us because He is merciful. It's part of His character, therefore that's how He acts. He is merciful, therefore He gives mercy to us. And we have this beautiful opportunity as followers of Jesus to shine light into dark areas by giving mercy to people who nobody would even think about giving mercy to. By going in close and bringing some of God's mercy into a situation they they didn't even realize it was even there. That's the opportunity we have.